0: Uh, well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. If this is your first time here, uh, we are grateful and glad that you're here this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors. And so, uh, as Alan said earlier, love to meet you. If you have never been here before, if you've never even just come up and introduce yourself to one of us, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, so please feel free to come do that after the service. At Sojourn, every week we preach from God's word from the Bible. And so if you need a Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? Love we'll a few people bring a Bible around to you so that you can read along with us this morning. So just keep your hand up until they find you uh, so that you can look at that this morning with us. And if you don't actually own a copy of God's Word, then we'd love to give that to you as a gift today. So feel free to take that with you as you head out uh, this afternoon. Well, as we uh, jump into God's word this morning, we are wrapping up a series uh, called The Death of Death. As Alan mentioned, we've been in the last few weeks since Easter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just really looking at the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that that's important for us. It's not just something we celebrate on Easter morning. It's not something we only celebrate once a year. It is important and something to be celebrated every single day. And it's also not just something that's related to Jesus. It's not just about the fact that Christ has been risen, but the reality that has implications for your life and for my life. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us. Death is defeated in and through Jesus. Our hope in the face of our own death is life. Life in and through the risen Christ. And that is glorious news for all of us this morning. Over these last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that because of the resurrection of Christ, that we need to wake up from our sleepiness in life, not walking through life sleepily, recognizing the fact that this life is not just about eating and drinking. It's so much more than that. Last week, Will preached and did a fantastic job just reminding us of the fact that our future hope gives us the ability to navigate through suffering now, and that even our suffering has a purpose in this life. But if we're honest, in the day-to-day of life, as we leave here this morning and just navigate through life, sometimes the mundaneness of our lives, or as we struggle with suffering or with sin, as we struggle with difficulties and dysfunction in our lives and the world around us, we can oftentimes think, what is the point of all this? What is the point of all this? How is the future resurrection really relevant to my life right now? today as we wrap up our time in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that Paul wants to address that question and show us that our future hope, that one day when Christ returns, that you and I, if we are in Christ, will be raised from the dead ourselves. That future hope enables us now to live an immovable life. So we're going to jump into the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians 15 chapter 15 and the apostle paul the author of this text finishes with these nine verses starting in verse 50 this is what paul says i tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold i tell you a mystery Father, we are thankful for your word this morning that we can open up this text of scripture and see hope, encouragement, challenge for us. And so I pray that as we look at these verses, seek to understand them and seek to apply them to our lives, Father, that you would bring about change in our hearts and our lives today that because we've sat under your word this morning that you would do a work in our lives for your glory for our good and the good of everyone we come in contact with this week we believe in the power of your word we pray holy spirit that you would implant that not only in our minds but in our hearts as well and so we pray all this in christ's name amen Well, we can break this text up into three main points. So I'm going to give you those three main points. Go ahead and throw those out there for you uh, so that we can see how, as we walk through these nine verses, see what Paul is, uh, is trying to explain to us. So these are our three points, our imperishable reality, our immense hope and our immovable life An imperishable reality, an immense hope and an immovable life. So let's jump into the first one, the imperishable reality of the resurrection. In verses 50 through 53, Paul continues his thought on what he's talked about in the last few verses that we looked at last week. When Will did such a great job preaching last week, that Paul has made clear that Jesus is raised physically from the dead. And that all who have placed their faith and trust in him, who are united with Christ by faith, will also one day rise from the dead when Jesus returns. Our physical bodies will be made like Jesus's body. Now, now we've talked about that over the last few weeks, so we, I hope that we've understood that, that we've tried to wrap our minds around that to some degree. But what Paul's doing here in these few verses, in 50 through 53 in particular, is telling us why that's critical why we need to be raised in that way, and how that's going to happen. In verse 50, he tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. See, our current bodies are corrupted by sin and affected by sin. So we can't inherit the everlasting, imperishable kingdom of God in the physical state that we find ourselves in. Then we ask the question, well, why is that the case? Why can we not inherit that as we currently are? Well, the reason is is because God, in all of his perfection, with uninhibited glory, is presence. If we, in our own presence, as we currently are, stand before him, we will not be able to survive. His glory is that strong, his presence is that awesome, that we have to be changed in order to spend eternity with him. We have to be changed. But the good news of the gospel this morning is that our union with Christ, the fact that by faith we can be united with him, guarantees that change is going to take place. So you and I don't just need to be changed spiritually. We don't just need our sin to be dealt with. We also need to have our bodies physically changed as well. Because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world See, but Paul doesn't only just want to show us why we need to be changed, the fact that we can't stand in God's presence apart from being transformed, literally, physically changed, but also how that's going to take place. Look at verses 51 through 53 again. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When Paul says mystery here, he's not talking about something that's hidden that he's trying to reveal to them. He's talking about something that has been hidden in the past, but because Christ has come, it's been revealed to all of us. What is this mystery? It's that those who are in Christ, that are alive when Christ returns and those who are in Christ that have passed away and are already buried when Christ returns, that have died, will all be changed in an instant when the trumpet sound, tr- sounds and Jesus returns. That all of us will be changed, whether alive, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, and all of us in this room are still alive, that if we know Christ, will be changed in an instant. But everyone else who's passed away up until that point will also be raised and changed in an instant. There's no incompleteness spiritually or physically. It's not about just being renewed or restored, but being made brand new and glorious. This change will not be progressive. It'll be immediate and it'll be amazing. It's hard for us to even conceive what that would be like, to wrap our minds around what it might be like to see that happen instantaneously. But if we're in Christ, we will see it and we will experience it. In that moment, the old completely passes away. In that moment, the new completely comes into reality. It's the imperishable reality of the resurrection. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 are some of my favorite verses in the scriptures. And, and they're some of my favorite verses because in them, there's a lot of hope. And there's a lot of encouragement of the reality of who I am and who I will be. Listen to verse 2 of 1 John chapter 3. The apostle John writes there, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What we will be has not yet happened It it hasn't come about yet. Christ has not yet returned, but it will. It'll happen in a moment. It'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. We will be forever changed to be like our great God and Savior Jesus when we see him face to face in all of his glory. Man, what a glorious day that'll be when we get to see our Savior. What a glorious day it'll be when we get to be made like him. It's the imperishable reality of the resurrection. But this imperishable reality leads us to an immense hope. An immense hope. Look what Paul says in verses fifty-four through fifty-five. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. What amazing news to us. And it's crazy to see Paul kind of taunts death. He's taunting death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But, But that's kind of a crazy thing for Paul to do, right? Because at this point when Paul's writing this, and the reality for you and me right in this moment is that death is still present. All of us will die if Christ does not yet return. So Paul taunting death in this way is kind of like taunting a a bull or taunting a great white shark. Something that's bigger than you, something that's more powerful than you, that's coming after you, and that can end you. But Paul's not scared because Paul knows the God who's over all things. Paul's not scared because Paul knows the risen Savior. Death swallowed up in victory. It's gone digested, gulped down. It completely disappears. Death has lost its sting. And we can say, yes, we believe that that's true. But the reality for you and for me is that we seem to feel the sting of death now. It, It seems like decay and death have the victory now. Back in September of 2013, As Sojourn turned one year old as a church, my son Isaac was born, and my friend Ian was diagnosed with a very rare and very aggressive form of leukemia. And I asked him if I could share this with you this morning. As we all found out more information about what was going on with him through the coming months after that initial diagnosis, the prognosis was daunting. It was daunting. There was a lot of hope. But there was a lot of uncertainty if Ian would make it through. But we praise God this morning that he did. We praise God this morning that our brother sits here this morning. We see the evidence of God's goodness and his grace that was on display in Ian's life through all of this. But in the midst of this journey, a lot of us prayed a lot. Believing that our God is good. Believing that he's faithful and believing that no matter what that our hope was in Christ, that Ian's hope was in Christ, that Ian's family's hope is in Christ. Because Ian knew Christ then and Ian knows Christ now. But even knowing that, even believing that, I remember one afternoon in particular in the fall, sitting at home with my wife, Amy, and and thinking about the fact overcome with emotion at the fact that I might have to preach my brother's funeral. And that hit me, and it it overwhelmed me, and I just broke down. I couldn't handle it. And I knew that Ian knew Jesus. I knew that Ian would be with Jesus forever. I trusted and believed that our God was good, even in the midst of suffering. But why was I still sad in that moment? Why was I still sad? Because even though all of those things are true, even just the thought of a man passing away provided a very stark reminder that death is not normal. It's not normal. It doesn't matter how old someone is. It doesn't matter how young someone is. Death is universal, but there is nothing normal about it. And when we walk through suffering, when we see someone else walk through suffering, when we attend or go to a funeral, in particular, we're reminded of the groaning of Romans 8. We're reminded of the groaning of of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 23, says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We can trust in the redemption we have in Christ for our sin, but we groan for the redemption of our bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Paul writes there, for in this tent, in our physical bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Listen, you and I feel the pain of death now because we long for the future hope that is ours in Jesus, when he will come and say, I make all things new. We make all things new. See, Paul states all of this as being done, as being completed already, because the beginning of the end has already set in motion that final victory. When Jesus came out of that grave, it set in motion this final victory. And when Christ returns, the last enemy of all of humanity, the great equalizer of death, will be completely, utterly, and finally defeated see, what that means for you and for me right now is that death is powerless over you if you're in Christ. It's powerless over you if you're in Christ. Death can no longer tyrannize you because it's been swallowed up in victory. It's lost its sting. It's a bull with no horns, a shark with no teeth, a bee with no stinger. And if you are united with Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. What is true for you right now is that you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. To be clothed in the righteousness of Christ means that Christ's perfect life, that he lived before God on this earth, is now credited to you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. That when God, holy God, looks at you now, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness, not your sin Because Jesus paid for that on the cross. That's true for you right now if you're in Christ. But what 1 Corinthians 15 is reminding us of this morning is that if you're in Christ, that one day you will also be clothed in the likeness of Jesus. You'll be clothed in the likeness of Jesus and that is amazing news. It provides immense hope to us in this life, no matter how long or short any of our lives are. Because we know that this life is but a vapor. It's a mist. It's here today and and it's gone tomorrow. But with Christ, we will be with him forever and we will be like him. So even as you and I feel pain now, we can rest in the hope of tomorrow. And we can help one another to persevere. We can remind one another of this truth. Because one day we will be raised. And when we are, we will not only experience the glory of our God, we will be made glorious like our Savior. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We have triumphed over that in Christ. But sojourn this morning, let's not forget the real issue. Look at verse 56. Paul says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. If all that exists is the present life, if there's nothing else to come in our lives, then death should never be feared. If this is all there is, if we're just biological creatures, biological beings, there's nothing else to life than our biology, our physical existence, then it doesn't really matter. But death is not merely a part of our existence, just a natural part of the life cycle of humanity in the world. Death is not merely biological. Death exists. The sole reason that death exists is because of our sin. This is why Paul says that the sting of death is sin. Sin is our rebellion against God. And when we die, the finality of our rebellion comes to a, to a fruition. And As one pastor puts it, death gains its power over humanity through sin because sin demands capital punishment as its penalty. See, death brings you and me face to face with the living God. It brings us face to face with the living God and all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account for our lives and our willing rebellion against God. Death exists because of sin, and we are aware of our sin because of the law of God, of God's perfect standards, the law of God that's written in his word, the law of God that's written on our hearts, and it's here that we find ourselves faced with the fact that we can do nothing on our own to make ourselves right with God. We can't obey him perfectly. We've rebelled against him. We can't even live up to our own standards if we even disregard God's standards. It brings us to a place of desperation, a sense of desperation. When I was seven years old, I was at the pool one summer with my family, with my mom and my my younger brother, and, uh, and having a good time. And, and one of the things I loved to do at the pool was to jump off the diving board at our pool we had a diving board that was like uh, a, a legit diving board. A lot of pools don't have diving boards anymore, but this is like you know probably about four feet off the ground and had a good spring to it. And so we would get up on the diving board and there were a lot of people running off the diving board, jumping off the diving board that day. And so I always loved to start at the very back and run as fast as I could to the end to jump off of it at seven years old. And so that particular day, as a lot of people went off the diving board, the diving board was very wet, And my feet were very wet. And so as I ran full speed from the back to the front, I slipped off the side of the diving board. Right at the edge of where the pool is. Like if this is the diving board, I slipped and skid down the wall into the water. I still have some scars on my knee and on my foot. But as I plunged into the water, scraping myself up on the way down, I was disoriented, unsure of what in the world was going on or happened. I was trying to go this way and somehow I went that way. So disoriented, falling into the water, not knowing what was going on, not knowing what was happening, a hand reached down into the water, grabbed a hold of me, and pulled me up onto the side of the pool to save me, to put me on dry land. I was desperate for help, and someone came to me to rescue me. See, death is not the end for any of us. It's the beginning of eternity for all of us. And we are all in a desperate place. We're all in a desperate place. Not not because of our pending death. We're in a desperate place because of the reason for our death. Our sin. Our rebellion against holy God that has separated us from him. And the fact that you and I on our own can do nothing to change that. Paul knows that. And so Paul reminds us once again of the immense hope we have now look at verse 57 paul says but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ we are utterly lost unable to overcome our sin but thanks be to god that that is not the end of the story God purposed and planned from eternity past to send his only son to rescue us. He sent his son to defeat the great enemies of all image bearers, death and sin that brought that about. The victory is Jesus' victory because Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. And Jesus died a death that he did not deserve to die in the place of sinners like you and like me. He went to a cross, bloody Beaten and bruised to endure not just excruciating physical pain, but excruciating spiritual pain as well. The perfect son had perfect communion with the father. Perfect communion for all eternity. In that moment on the cross, he was abandoned to the wrath of God. For the sin of people from every tribe, every language, every nation. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he defeated the death that comes from our sin. See, Jesus' victory over death means he has victory over sin. And this is the good news of the gospel for you this morning. Jesus' victory is your victory, can be your victory if you'll take it. Jesus' victory can be your victory. It's yours to take if you'll take it. So my question for you this morning is, have you taken it? Have you taken it? Have you experienced God's grace? Have you received the immense hope that comes through Christ and Christ alone, that in the face of death, that life is given to you now and forever? For those of us that are united to Jesus, the good news of this is that sin does not hold you down now. You've been set free from its power, and one day sin will be no more. See, you and I don't have to fear death if we are in Christ because we are no longer condemned. We're no longer condemned. See, for those of us that are in Christ, death has lost its horror. Because we know that at the point of death, as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we don't come to bring anything on our own. Say, God, look what I've done for you. We come empty-handed saying, I don't have anything but Christ. I don't have anything but Jesus. See, Jesus took the sting of death and he paid for it. Jesus took it on for us that we could be set free, that we could be forgiven, that we might know God and be with him forever and ever, fully redeemed and completely reconciled. And that is amazing news for us this morning. But The question is for us right now is where do we go from here? What what do we do with this? We can listen to this on a Sunday and, and say amen to it. But what happens tomorrow? What happens on Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock when you're feeling tired or just overwhelmed with life? Well, we go where Paul goes. We go to application. See, in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have an imperishable reality and an immense hope. But that's not just some truth that's up here. It affects real life. It enables you and me to live an immovable life right here and right now as we wait for Jesus to return or call us home. So listen to Paul's final words of this chapter. Verse 58, Paul says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sometimes followers of Jesus who long for the new heavens, who long for the new earth, can be accused of being so heavenly minded that we do no earthly good. So heavenly minded. Our heads are in the clouds. We're just waiting for Jesus to come back that we don't do anything here. But what we see, what Paul is saying, is quite the opposite. Because when the truth of 1 Corinthians 15 hits us and brings joy and overwhelms us with the goodness of our future hope in Christ, we are so heavenly minded that we exceed in doing earthly good. Why? Because we recognize that our time here has a purpose, that it has meaning, that it isn't pointless. It matters for eternity. It matters for eternity. Sojourn Church exists To give glory to God by making disciples. And part of the thing, part of the way, and part of the the act of making disciples is preparing one another for eternal life. Preparing each other for the fact that this life is, is momentary. It's but a mist, but a vapor. So you and I can prepare one another for eternal life. And we can do that by holding fast to the gospel. We can do that by encouraging one another in Christ. We can do that by longing and striving to see our immense hope become the immense hope of our neighbors and the nations. See, the reality of the resurrection is not just a theology for tomorrow; it's a reality for today. We we can we can't read or apply verse fifty eight if we don't look at the rest of what Paul's already said in verses one through fifty seven. We can't apply verse 58 apart from the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul says, Therefore, in light of the victorious death of Jesus over sin and the victorious resurrection of Jesus over death, therefore, in light of your future resurrection, therefore, in light of the hope you have for the day when there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, and no more sin, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. To be steadfast, to be immovable, is to to stand strong, to not be shaken or moved or knocked down. It's to be rock solid. That when challenges come your way, when persecution comes your way, when the difficulties of parenting your kids or pastoring your family or having integrity and ethics in your workplace come your way, when you are wronged, ridiculed, or just flat out worn out in life, Be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. But sojourn, living an immovable life, is not born out of self-will. It doesn't come from personal strength or individual resolve. It has to be from beginning to end, rooted in, and made possible by the gospel that we believed. That you were bought with a price that you're not your own. That your identity this morning is not in what you do. It's not in what you have. It's not in the family that you come from. It's not in the sin that you've committed or sin that's been committed against you. Your identity is found in Jesus in Jesus alone who died and was buried. Who rose again and was seen. See, not being moved means not shifting our hope. The Corinthians had lost sight of their hope. They, they, they forgot about the fact of what it means that one day they will be forever with God, raised physically to exist in this new city, and so they lived life as if, this, as if this was all there really is. It strayed from their only hope. But sojourn, I don't want that to be the reality for you, and I don't want that to be the reality for me. Listen, nothing can move us. Nothing can shake us. Nothing can knock us down in this life because not even death wins. Jesus wins. So Paul says, leave it all out there on the court. Leave it all out there on the court. Give everything you have for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Why? Because the hope of tomorrow gives you strength to be faithful and focused today. Why? Because everything you do in the Lord, all your labor is not in vain. Surgeon, we can abound in the work of the Lord each and every day because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Sojourn, the gospel work that God has called each of us to is never in vain, because Jesus is alive. The gospel work that God has called each of us to always achieves its purpose, even if we can't see it. Even if we can't see it. See, you and I are called to Plant gospel seeds. You and I are called to to, to water with gospel truth. But it's God who gives growth. It's God who gives growth. So what does that mean for us? It means that we always work in the context of hope. It means that we hold on to the truth of the gospel and remind one another of it daily. Daily. It means that you and I can strive to live an immovable life until Jesus returns or calls us home and sojourn. There is a lot of work to be done. Right now in our world, there are 7.2 billion people. Six billion people out of that 7.2, maybe even a bit higher than that, do not have their hope in the risen Christ. 4.1 billion of those 7.2 billion people are unreached with the gospel. There's not adequate witness for them to truly know Christ within that community of people. And get this, over 300 million people in our world right now are completely unengaged. That means no one's even trying to bring the gospel to them. But people living with an immense hope people who are striving to live an immovable life can do something about that. We really can. We really can. Is God calling you? Is God calling you right now to go? To go to those 300 million, to go to those 4.1 billion people? Man, my hope, what I long to see is God raise up men and women within this church to send them to the, to the corners of the earth, to take the immense hope we have and to see it become the immense hope of all the nations. But the reality is there's work to be done all over the globe and there's work to be done right here as well. There are 1.1 million people in Fairfax County. On Friday, I went and had lunch with a student over at Mason and uh, sitting on campus. And after we ate lunch, I just hung around for a little bit in the Starbucks on campus and was just watching people. I was trying to get work done, but I was so distracted just watching people. So many different people, so many different languages spoken around me. Students from all over the world, some 35,000 students that are at George Mason University. So many people that need to know Jesus. There are some 40 something kids down the hallway right now. Sojourn kids, all who need gospel planting, all who need gospel watering, and people living with an immense hope who are striving to live an immovable life can do something about that. Sojourn, what would happen if the men and women of our church, older or younger, married or single, believing that their labor is not in vain, striving to live an immovable life, sought to find a few other men and women around them to spend time helping one another grow in Christ, spending time talking about real life with one another, opening up God's word together, praying with and for one another. What would happen in our families? What would happen in our lives? What would happen in our community? What would happen, Sojourn, if husbands, believing your labor is not in vain and striving to live an immovable life, sought to pastor your family in the grace of the gospel, even when it's hard, And even when it seems like nobody's listening. What would happen, Sojourn, if if couples believing your labor is not in vain and striving to live an immovable life sought out other couples in the church, those that aren't yet married or maybe recently married and took them under their wing to care for them and encourage them to listen and help and pray for them, believing that even a little can go a long way. What would happen? What would happen if all of us Believing our labor is not in vain and striving to live an immovable life saw George Mason University as an opportunity for mission and engaged. Not just college students, but all of us. Through prayer, through presence, through evangelism to see that small city that exists within our city reach for the gospel. What if all of us? Believing our labor is not in vain. Striving to live an immovable life saw every single person around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family and friends as people who need the immense hope of Jesus and truly invested our lives in bringing that message of hope to them. Believing that God has placed you in the place you are right now for that reason. The apartment you live in, the street you live on, the job you have, the cube you sit in, the grocery store you go to, the pool you swim in, the gym you work out in, that God placed you there for that reason. What would happen, Sojourn, if believing our labor is not in vain and striving to live an immovable life, we fought for the rights of the unborn and the marginalized. If we fought to see human slavery and trafficking ended, if we fought to defend the widow and the orphan, if we fought to see true racial reconciliation happen in our country, sojourn, what would happen? What would happen? See, the legacy of your life is not about how much money you have. It's not about the success you've had in life or in relationships. It's not about the clothes you've had or the car you drive. The legacy of your life is about making much of Jesus. It's about making much of Jesus, because the resurrection has changed everything. It's changed everything. Therefore, therefore, let's be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we can truly, because we do truly and sincerely believe that our labor is not in vain. Man, can we encourage one another with that truth? can we encourage one another in the day-to-day of life to believe that that's true? Because Jesus is alive. There have been many moments in the last two and a half years of this church that I've been discouraged. Times, times when I've thought to myself, man, does this really matter? Does this really matter? Is what I'm doing really making any difference? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to do this? To doing anything? In this past week, you reminded me, yes, Justin, it does matter. And it is worth it. I received notes of encouragement from many of you, and I haven't finished reading all of them yet. I can't even get through the first few pages without tearing up. Man, it was toward the beginning that One particular note brought tears of joy to my eyes, helping me, helping me remember that my labor is not in vain. That my labor in the Lord is not in vain. I need to be reminded of that. So I just want to read you an excerpt from one of these notes. It says this. It says, Justin, I came to know Christ because of your effort. I'm so thankful for your continued support of my walk in faith. And I pray that more people come to know the love of Christ through you, your sermons, and sojourn. Every Sunday, I'm convicted to spread the word. And it's made me a better person, a better mom, a better friend, a better daughter, and a better sister. All because you asked me to stop walking around the pool and to jump in. Thanks for not giving up on me. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Your labor in the Lord is never, ever, ever in vain. Because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is building his church and he's using you to do it. He's using you to do it. I believe there are people in your life right now that God is calling from death to life through you. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your kids. I believe that there are people in this room right now That God is calling to come to life. And he's going to use you, just like the Apostle Paul, to bring that hope to more and more people around you. Man, if that's you, would you come alive this morning? Would you place your faith in Jesus this morning? That God might establish that immense hope in you and allow you to live an immovable life for the glory of his name. Let me just say one last thing to those of you that are struggling right now. That are, that are legitimately suffering right now. Things may be really challenging for you. Maybe mentally or physically or emotionally or spiritually. Maybe it's all of those things. But for you, I believe this today. For you, listen to me, that God still has a good work for you to do. God still has a good work for you to do even in the midst of your suffering And so this truth is truth for you. Because Christ is risen, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. Sojourn, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And to that we say amen. As we come forward to the table now to eat the bread and drink of the cup, I hope that you'll think about why you're doing it what you're doing, that the bread is a picture of Christ's body given for you, that the cup is a picture of Christ's blood shed for you, that through Jesus and Jesus alone that you are clothed in righteousness, and through Jesus and Jesus alone one day you'll be clothed in his likeness. So may you and I rejoice together today as we eat and drink, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And until he comes again, may we live lives for his glory and for the good of our, of our neighbors and the nations. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would just ask you to not come forward to take communion. Because as we come forward and we take the bread and we take the cup, we are proclaiming that our only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so if that's not yet true for you, we don't want you to come, take, to come forward to take communion. We want you to take Jesus today. That you would realize that you have nothing apart from Christ and you would truly turn to him in faith. Would you pray and ask God to save you today through Christ? And if you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me or any of our other leaders. That's why this church is here that you might know Jesus. Those of you that will come forward, you can either come to the two stations at the front and there's also two at the back. Tear off a piece of bread, and take a small cup to drink and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you, through your word, constantly and continually remind us of the reality of our life apart from you and the reality of the good news of the gospel that makes us be able to be with you, not only now, but forever. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church family that we would continue to reflect on this truth, that when we're struggling, that when we're doubting, that we would look and remember the risen Jesus, And Lord, that that would overwhelm us in such a way that we would give praise and honor to you that we'd say thanks be to God that victory is ours in and through Christ who not only died for us but was raised again. Jesus is alive. May that that literally and truly change everything for us that we cannot look at life the same. Lord, I pray that you would use this time we've had in your word over these last few weeks talking about the resurrection to do a mighty work in our lives as individuals, to do a mighty work in our church as a family, and to do a mighty work in our community as we go out and take the immense hope we have to see our neighbors and the nations have that hope as well. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.